Amen. The reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 45. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I pulled out my favorite nativity scene at the beginning of Advent and discovered Mary was broken in two 
with her halo still intact. For two weeks, she sat in pieces on my dining room table all alone while I pondered what sort of message this may be and searched for one of those tiny tubes of super glue that always seem to get lost in our household junk drawers. I looked and I looked and I couldn't find anything and it bothered me every time I walked by the handmade Mexican clay sheep and shepherds, Joseph and Jesus and the angels and the three kings. Advent has never been a great time for our double pasture household to do crafts or cleaning projects. So eventually my only choice was to carefully balance Mary's broken top half on top of her bottom half and restore her to her rightful place in a communal scene that would not have been possible without her. She stands there still, no one in my family noticing that she's broken and whole at the same time, human and ordinary and essential. Last week, Pastor Lindsay spoke about the Magnificat, Mary's glorious and brave song of redemption. And this week, we back up in time to the Annunciation. When Mary, apparently all alone, was startled by an angel's initially unwelcome greeting. Living in the remote village of Nazareth, far from the religious center of Jerusalem, she would not have been inclined to dream that she had a role in salvation history. And before she erupted in the joyous, revolutionary tones of her song in Elizabeth's living room, Mary's world was disrupted by unforeseen circumstances. Betrothed to Joseph of the house of David at maybe 15 or so years old, she was told she would be the mother of God. No wonder that in the first 12 verses of today's passage, Mary is described as favored, perplexed, thoughtful, and afraid. She questions and believes and finally submits to her vocation. And what is extraordinary about Mary is just this. How ordinary she appears walking around with God in her womb. How broken she must have felt before the Holy Spirit filled her, patched her up, and gave her the fierce courage to travel 70 miles to find her people. The mature and pregnant Elizabeth, the silent and brooding Zechariah. Mary was no longer alone. This year, when I read about the message Mary received from the angel Gabriel, I am struck by renewed awareness that we are not fully in charge of our destiny. Mary heard the news that she would have a child, and she responds with a question, what? How can that be? And it's no wonder she's confused, not only because of her body and her marital status, but even more so that Gabriel uses these specific images that 
a Jew would have recognized and understood and hoped for, the dreamed for Messiah. Each image in these verses is fundamental to Luke's story of Jesus that continues throughout the gospel. This one who is not yet born will sit on David's throne and this one's rule will astonishingly never end. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And before we move on to Mary's acceptance, it's worth pausing here with her confusion because that holy moment of God's inbreaking into her ordinary world perplexed her and made her wonder how and why and what and when. I think Mary's puzzlement, I think it grants us permission too to take time to adjust to astonishing news, to question whether or not trials and tragedies or God's magnificent promises are for real and to contemplate the potential repercussions. Two years ago, a few days after Christmas, my brother called me with the shocking news that my father had suddenly died. And though my brother's words were clearly spoken, I asked him to repeat what he had just said. And then I said something that made no sense, but is nevertheless a common reaction. But we just saw him a few days ago. As if seeing someone one day prevents them from having a heart attack the next. You can hear it too if you're in the room with a diagnosis or the news of a needed surgery if you're listening. That oh-so-human reaction, how can this be? What? When an accident happens or a tragedy strikes nearby or there's a sudden, deadly global pandemic, we often react at first with astonishment. I was just driving on that road. My kids were just at that school. I can't believe it, a, a pandemic? And it happens with good news too. Receiving an award, learning the adoption went through, getting a call to serve in some important way because someone has seen gifts in us. How can it be? It's that underlying awareness that we're not fully in charge of our destiny that ebbs and flows throughout our lives and makes us ponder and wonder. And it's worth taking the time to do that, to discern and to pray all those steps along the way of learning to trust God even when we feel out of control. But there's something else we can do, too, because holding sanctuary in our hearts for surprising news and taking time to absorb and wonder and question isn't the only thing. It's an important thing, but it's not the only thing. And this other thing is something Mary did once the angel was gone. She found her people. She didn't try to go it dangerously alone after the 
astounding announcement from an angel. She gave her yes, and then she found her people. What solidarity can emerge when we share a dream that perplexes us or news that astonishes us? What strength can we gather when we ponder with others what God might intend for us, what God might require of us? Within the walls of Elizabeth's home, Mary found a wider sanctuary, bigger than just her own heart. Because Elizabeth welcomes her, enfolds her, blesses her. And what is broken in Mary becomes a little more whole. And what is still uncertain forms into resolve. And what is silent becomes song. Because that's what love does. Love creates sanctuary where we can be enfolded in, in blessing. Love helps us to see that we're not alone. Love enables us to dream again. Love helps us to hear the message that nothing is impossible with God when we help to carry each other's dreams. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was full of grace and strength, which she needed in the years ahead when her fierce love included potent suffering. And there have been others, too, in different ways, who've drawn on that kind of strength. I'd like to lift up two other Christian women, one from long ago and one contemporary, who created sanctuary born of love that others need not go through life's unpredictable suffering alone. In 14th century England, during a time of great turmoil and suffering, Julian of Norwich lived as an anchoress, and she wrote what came to be known as a spiritual classic, Revelations of Divine Love. In a situation achingly similar to what many have today, Julian was enclosed in a small space and could not go out or receive anyone into her home except for the cat she was allowed to have who lived with her. So if someone wanted to speak with Julian, they came to the window meant for conversation. Food and other necessities were brought in to a second window, groceries delivered, and her hermitage was attached to the church with a window looking toward the altar, allowing her to pray and participate in the liturgy, you guessed it, virtually. We have the internet, and she had her inner window. Anchoresses at that time chose to live in cities instead of the countryside in England so that they could be available to give spiritual direction to others. Though alone, she was important to her community. And during the current pandemic, Dame Julian's relevance to people around the world who are self-isolating themselves has become more pronounced. She lived in the wake of the Black Death, and around her, repeated plagues hit her area, redecimating an already depleted population. Her isolation helped her to survive and provide spiritual sanctuary for those who needed prayer and advice and reassurance and God's love. And she was able to find that calm and quiet 
and focus in a chaotic world that she could give to others. The most characteristic element of her mystical theology was a daring likening of divine love to motherly love. She wrote that God sees us as perfect and waits for the day when human souls mature so that evil and sin will no longer hinder us. She wrote, God is nearer to us than our own soul. And that theme repeated, born of her revelations, it appeared throughout her work as she focused on the suffering of Jesus Christ and the love of God, this theme that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Those who dream are not alone. A more contemporary example is another dreamer, the fierce and faithful Reverend Jackie Lewis, pastor of Middle Collegiate Church in New York City, the oldest continuously active church in North America, established in 1628. The church's signature ministry is their annual Revolutionary Love Conference, which aims at reshaping the prophetic imagination of the progressive faith movement. They promote their conference saying, in this moment, our ability to imagine a loving future is more crucial than ever. That we will never secure the just world we all deserve if we don't have the moral courage to dream what it will look like. So we will gather artists and activists and faith leaders and present-day prophets and anyone whose conscience has been set ablaze and together will chart a course to take us there and will particularly focus on artists' roles in our collective dreaming and the power of writing new stories and lifting up new storytellers to change our collective narrative. A few weeks ago, a fire destroyed this church, and housing had to be found for the 22 women who lived in the shelter next door. But even as the remaining flames of the sanctuary continued to burn, the people of Middle Church were already both receiving from and offering to the world a message of resurrection and hope. Reverend Lewis took to Twitter to respond to the horrible fire, saying, we are devastated and crushed that our beloved physical sanctuary at Middle Collegiate Church has burned, and yet no fire can stop revolutionary love. Her words remind me that love, love helps us to hear the message in our own beautiful imperfection that nothing is impossible with God when we carry each other's dreams. So my halo-adorned broken Mary stands proudly next to the babe in the manger and the angel with unfolded wings. She is a symbol to me of fierce and unconditional love, sacrificial love, motherly love, God's love that makes the wounded whole. As the poet Hafiz speaks, this sky where we live 
is no place to lose your wings. So love, love, love.